A lot of times when it comes to the passion of Christ in those final hours, we reflect on the words that Jesus spoke from the cross. Words like this, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Or those words he spoke at the end, it is finished. But this morning, I don't, I don't want to focus on these words that Jesus spoke from the cross. Instead, I want to focus on the words that the people spoke to Jesus while he was on the cross. You heard them in the video, but I'll read them again. Matthew chapter 27, 39 to 44. Those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He can't save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him then. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Let's pray. Almighty God, this morning, would you open up our hearts, our minds, our hands, our very lives to what you have done for us. We ask all this in the name of Jesus the Christ who gave himself for us. Amen. I still remember the first time I saw the movie The Passion of the Christ. I was young enough to see it in theaters. And I don't know if you saw it in theaters, but I remember the audible gasps that people had as, as they watched Jesus being beaten. As they watched his, his blood pouring out. I remember people covering their eyes and gasping and wanting to turn away. And I think it's interesting that in our culture where we watch so much violence on TV and in movies and there's so much violence and gore in video games that there's something about the cross and seeing Jesus suffering, bleeding, and dying. It feels different for us. It feels more significant. It feels more personal. And it's harder for us to watch than so many war movies that we enjoy. And so I think for us... It's easy to think 2,000 years ago that it might have been similar for those people, that they would have turned their eyes, that it would have been uh, something that they couldn't stand to see or, or something that really impacted them. But one thing we have to remember is that crucifixion was a form of capital punishment in the Roman Empire, and it was actually quite common. In Jerusalem and beyond, crucifixions would have been something that perhaps took place on a daily basis. And crucifixions didn't take place far, far away, away from everybody like executions do now. Instead, they were meant to be public. They were often on major thoroughfares of roads that, so that countless people would be walking by, going about their business, and they would see people hanging from crosses, sometimes suffering for days at a time until they finally died by asphyxiation. And the Romans did this for a few reasons. One, they wanted it to serve as a warning to other people. That's why they put little signs above the cross with the people's crimes that they committed on them as a warning. Hey, if you do this, this is the punishment you will get. Be warned. They wanted people in check. 
But the other reason they did this is that crucifixion was not meant to merely be an act of killing someone. It was meant to be an act that heaped humiliation on people, that made them feel great shame. And so oftentimes people would be crucified naked or with very little clothes on, publicly suffering. And so while we can be sensitive to these images, a lot of the people in those days were were pretty desensitized to watching people die on crosses, people like Jesus. And so when they were walking by, they would shout things. They would shout things. They would mock people. That was just kind of the mob mentality of the day. And they would yell different things. And in the scripture reading, we see the different things. They yelled at Jesus. Some of the first ones they yelled were, save yourself. People thought they were being cute. Save yourself, Jesus. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. If you've been reading Matthew with us, these words might ring a little bit familiar. Because these words are very similar to what Satan says to Jesus in the wilderness before he begins his public ministry. You remember what Satan said? If you're the Son of God, prove it, Jesus. Turn these stones into bread. If you're the Son of God, Jesus, jump from this place and let the angels save you. If you're the Son of God, Jesus, use your supernatural power to save yourself and to prove your identity. And here these people are doing the same thing. They're saying, Jesus, prove it. If you're really powerful, come down off the cross and save yourself. Then we will believe in you. And Jesus was silent. There was another group of people, scribes, Pharisees, teachers of the law. They said, Jesus, you saved others. And this word saved, it means to to rescue, to redeem, to, to heal or make whole. They're saying, look, save others. And we've seen Jesus save other people throughout the Gospels. The disciples were in a storm and the boat was about to be overtaking. They were all going to drown. And they said, Jesus, save us. Jesus saved them. He rescued them from the storm. Another time, a woman with an issue of blood, she came and she was grabbing onto his cloak, hoping to be saved, to be healed and made whole. And Jesus saved her. He healed her. These religious people and others, they had seen Jesus give sight to the blind, make the lame walk and cleanse the skin of lepers. And so they're saying, look, you saved others. Why don't you save yourself? They said he saved others, but he can't even save himself. Let him come down. Let God deliver him. Then we will believe he is the Son of God. But as you know, he didn't come down. He shouted from the cross, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, and People thought he was calling Elijah, and they thought, well, maybe Elijah will save him. But Elijah didn't save him. Instead, darkness filled the land. And Jesus, the Son of God, died a brutal death upon the cross. And when we come to this story, I I think... At some point, we have to ask the question, why? Why didn't Jesus save himself? 
Why didn't he come down from the cross? Why did he die such a brutal death as the Son of God? And I think people at the cross that day were thinking the same thing. I think some of the religious leaders, they were looking at it. They were shouting on him to save himself. And when he didn't, they said, yeah, why didn't he? Because he's a fraud. He didn't really have the power. He was just another faker like other people. I think the Roman officials, they were probably asking the same question. Why didn't he come down? Why doesn't he come down? Oh, yeah, because he's not the real Messiah. He's just another fraud like so many others that we've seen and that we've killed just like him. I think the women who were at the cross, people who had followed him, who had seen his miraculous power, who knew his great love, they had experienced it. I think as they were there watching Jesus die on the cross, the one they had trusted their life to, I think they were asking why. Why does it end like this? Why doesn't he save himself? Because they knew that he had the ability to. And we've been reading in the Gospels, we've seen he had authority over the winds and the waves. He had all sorts of miraculous powers, and yet, he's dead. And to understand why he didn't save himself so long ago, I think we have to go back to some of his own words. Words that those women and other people probably forgot in the midst of such grief and sorrow. Words from John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. When we look at this passage and other passages Jesus spoke, I think, we can begin to see the reason why Jesus chose not to save himself is so that he could save you. Jesus chose not to save himself. Instead, he chose to willingly lay down his life. People didn't take his life. He laid down his very life. He breathed his last. He chose that moment. He laid down his very life for his sheep, for you, out of his great love for every single person, for you, for me, for everyone in this world, because he knew there was no other way that we might be saved. He knew there was no other way. And so he chose not to save himself and to die and to suffer so that he could save us. And now you might be thinking, save me from what? Because, you know, like, maybe you think life's pretty good. Yeah, could be better, but like, family's okay, job's okay. Maybe you don't like the word saved because it implies that maybe you can't do something on your own and you feel pretty independent, pretty, pretty responsible. I think that's how a lot of us feel a lot of the time. We feel like life's okay. You know, we got our devices, we're busy doing all sorts of stuff. But I think when we finally put down our phones, when we stop scrolling, when we stop watching TV, when we take time to just sit and reflect on our lives and on the world, I think that we all come to this place where we can recognize that things aren't exactly right. 
things are off. We see children suffering and we think that's, that's not how it's meant to be. This weekend, a missile killed 50 women and children in Ukraine as they were seeking to evacuate war territory. And we think, you know, I, I don't think that's how it's supposed to be. We look at, at the hunger, at the suffering that people endure. And then we, we look at our own lives and we think, you know what, maybe, maybe I am created for more. Maybe there's more to life than going to work and having a house and, and just getting by. We, we feel this restlessness inside of us. And I think when we really begin to look deeper in our hearts, we realize something isn't right. And the Bible describes the fundamental problem that you and I have as a problem of sin. The Bible says our fundamental problem is sin, sin that has infected every aspect of us and every aspect of our world. And sin isn't something that gets talked about a lot these days, but, but sin at, at its root level is its rebellion against God and running away from Him and what He desires for us and how He wants us to live. And it's rupturing that relationship with Him and with other people. And this has been happening since the very beginning of time. We have this problem of sin in our lives and Jesus Christ chose not to save Himself, to save us from our sins from the consequences of sins, the effects of our sins. Jesus chose us, chose to die for us so that he could save us from the penalty of our sins. The penalty of our sins. And I mean, you, you kind of see this when you look out at the world and you see terrible things happening and, and you want justice, right? You see someone wronged or maybe you've been wronged and you think, I want justice. I want someone to be held accountable. And when we look out at terrible things happening in the world, it's easy for us to, to, to feel that way and to think, you know what, they deserve punishment. They deserve justice. Someone needs to be held accountable. Sometimes when it comes to our own lives, we think, oh no, we're okay. We don't deserve that. But the truth is that we deserve to be held accountable for our sin. Someone needs to be punished for our sin. And the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that on the cross, Jesus Christ himself took the penalty that we deserved for our sin upon himself. You see, God stepped into the story in the person of Jesus Christ, and God the judge was judged in our place. The penalty of sin, Paul says in scripture, is death, and Jesus died in our place so that we could pass through judgment and so that we could live forever with God. The penalty for our sin has been paid. Jesus died to save us from the penalty of our sins. And, and Nicky Gumbel on the Alpha Course, he, he uses an illustration I like to help illustrate this a little more simply if, if you have a hard time getting. And he says, imagine there were, were two friends that went to elementary school together, middle school together, high school together. They were the best of friends, but then they lost touch like many of us do after high school. And one went on to law school and became a great judge, and he was very renowned, and he was a very just judge. And the other just kind of went down the wrong path, and he began to get into drugs and stealing and other kinds of stuff. And they didn't see each other for many years until one day they were reunited in a courtroom. There was the judge sitting face to face with his friend who had committed a great crime. 
the, the, the friend pled guilty. He knew he was guilty. And so this judge, who, who was a very just judge, had this dilemma. He was thinking, okay, well, I need to be just. I, I have to hold someone accountable and hand down a sentence here. But I also, I love my friend. And I care for my friend. And so he was trying to figure out what to do. And he said, I know what I'll do. And he, he ruled that the man owed a great fine. He, he gave him the punishment that he deserved. But then the judge did something interesting. He walked down from his chambers, sat next to the man, and he wrote a check for the fine that the man had received that day in court. And he said, look, I know you deserve this fine and I had to give it to you, but I want to pay the fine for you as your friend because I love you. In a similar way, that's what God has done for us. God, out of his great love for you and for me, has paid the price for our sin. He has taken it upon himself. And now, every analogy breaks down, of course, because we don't owe God a fine. The punishment we deserve is is death. It's much greater. Jesus paid the price. And the relationship we have with God, it's, it's, it's more than a friend. It's closer than a friend. God is our creator. We are made in his image. He loves us greater than you love your children. And he did this for you and for me so that we could be saved from the penalty of our sins. It's a gift he wants to give you. But he not only saves us from the penalty of our sins, he also saves us from the power of sin. The power of sin, because sin is something we do to other people and to God, but it's also, it's also like a disease or a sickness that's deep down inside of us. It's something that affects us and infects us. It affects our emotions, our relationships, the way we think, the way we act every single day. It is deep inside of us, and the good news of the cross is also that Jesus, on the cross, he bore the very weight Of every sin, he took everything that sin had to throw at him and he defeated its power upon the cross through his death and resurrection so that sin has no power over us today. And through Jesus Christ, through faith in him, we can be healed of our sin nature from the inside out. And this doesn't happen instantly. A lot of times it's healing over time as the Holy Spirit comes in us, makes a home and renews us from the inside out, changes our patterns of thinking, changes our way of living, changes who we are and how we live in this world. And I've seen this in my life. I have seen people who thought that there was no hope that they would change. People who were addicted, people who were always drinking to drunkenness, thought they could never change. But through the power of Jesus Christ, he defeated the sin in their lives. I've seen people who who were so angry, they had anger issues and they came to know Jesus Christ and they became more loving and patient and kind people. I know people who were always prideful, had to be the, the, the most important person in the room, but through Jesus Christ, the power of that sin began to lose a grip on them and they became more humble. As they let Jesus Christ and His Spirit Cleanse them from the inside out. Because Jesus has defeated the power of sin. He has saved us from the power of sin. But not only has he done that, he's also saved us from the partition of sin. I don't know how it is with you, but you know, in relationships you have with other people, you know how when you wrong them, like it's kind of awkward, like when you see them the next time. 
It's like a little, no, I'm the only one that does that. I'm the only one that wrongs people. It's like a little bit of a partition. It's like a little bit of a brick wall, I like to think of it. You know, you do one small thing, it's like a little brick. You do another thing, another brick is built. When you don't address it, it's like the wall continues to get built. And eventually it gets so high that really, like it's hard for us to take down the wall on our own. There's this partition, there's this relational separation between us and other people because of our sin, and it's similar with God. When we have wronged God, when we've run from God, there's it's like this, this separation that's being built up between us. And Scripture tells us that we actually can't tear down the wall on our own. We need someone to do it for us, and that someone is Jesus Christ. Because on the cross, Jesus tore down the partition that sin held in separating us and God. And we get a glimpse of this in Matthew's Gospel when we, when we see after Jesus' crucifixion, we see the curtain in the temple being torn in two from top to bottom. This curtain was a curtain that separated God's presence in the Holy of Holies from everyone else in the world. And on the cross, after Jesus died, it was torn and there was more separation. God's presence was released into the world. And through faith in Jesus Christ, all of us can experience a living relationship with God here and now because Jesus has removed the partition. He has saved us from the penalty of our sin, from the power of our sin, from the partition that sin creates in our lives with God and with other people. But he not only saves us from our sin, Jesus also chose not to save himself so that he could save us for something. And that for thing that Jesus saved us for is that Jesus saved us for an abundant life here and now and eternal life with God forever in the future. And we see this in Scripture, Matthew 27. Honestly, it's one of the weirdest Scripture passages in all of the Bible. It's kind of like the walking dead. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. And they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. You ever heard a sermon on that passage? Probably not, because it's pretty weird, right? And a lot of theologians don't exactly know what's happening here, that after Jesus died, tombs broke open, and people who were dead began walking around Jerusalem. I mean, you can imagine people were freaked out. And I don't exactly know what's going on here or how it works, but what I do know is that this is another sign just like the curtain was torn in two, it was a sign pointing to the partition being separated. This is another sign pointing us to what Jesus has saved us for. And what Jesus has saved us for is a new life with him. He wants us to have new life now, new life in eternity. He is going to raise up those who believe in Jesus Christ on the final day to new life. And he wants to give you abundant life now. If you think your life has no purpose, he wants to give you purpose. If you think God is done with you or your place in this world is done, he wants to give you a new lease on life. He wants to give you an abundant life, the life that you were created to live for here and now. Jesus saved you for that purpose. And it's a free gift. Jesus paid the price. All we have to do is is receive him. 
and everything he brings with us. And when you take all of this in and you begin to think about the cross, there's one question, and it's really the question I want to leave you with today, and it's this, how, how do you respond to all that's been done for you? How do you respond? I mean, you can walk out of here like none of it matters. You can believe. You can say, I need more, more time. But, but, but the cross and the crucifixion of Christ, it calls us to a response. And we see in Matthew 27, at the end of this story, I mean, people, as they witness Jesus Christ dying on the cross and everything that happened afterwards, we, we witness how some people responded. Matthew tells us that there were some centurions there. These guards that were watching all of this happen, they heard all of the words spoken to Jesus. They heard him being mocked and spat upon and laughed, and they probably did some of it themselves. But as they saw Jesus choosing not to save himself, they saw the earthquake and they witnessed everything that happened. We see some final words that these people spoke to Jesus while he was on the cross. And they weren't words of mockery. They weren't words of shame. Instead, these centurions proclaimed this. Truly, this was the Son of God. Truly, this was the Son of God. That day after taking it all in, the words they spoke to Jesus were words of faith. Words of belief, and I believe that from that day forward, they were changed people. They were new people. Their lives here and now were different, and their lives in eternity were different. And I, I remember the first time that I really heard about the cross and what Jesus had done for me, how he gave himself for me. I was going into the fourth grade at Camp Guerrero in North Carolina. My response is, I, I want that, I believe. I want forgiveness. I want his love. I, I want to receive that into my life. And my life since that moment hasn't been the same. And this morning is, you should think about the cross. Maybe, maybe this is the first time you've really heard all this. Or maybe this is the hundredth time. But maybe this morning God is, is speaking to you more clearly and he's moving in your heart. This morning what I want to invite you to do is to respond to Jesus. And just like we looked at people speaking different words to Jesus this morning, I want to invite you to speak some words to Jesus today. So in your seat, you'll see there's a little purple slip of paper. And Jesus this morning, he is here with us. He is resurrected. We're going to talk next week. The cross wasn't the end of the story. He is alive. He's here. He loves you. That's why he gave himself on the cross. And he hears you this morning. And so this morning, I want, I want you to reflect and I want you to write some words to Jesus 
on that slip of paper. And we actually have a basket at the cross over here and a basket at the cross over here. In a few moments, I'll invite you after you write them to, to place them there at the foot of the cross. And maybe the words that you want to say to Jesus this morning, maybe it's just simply thank you. Maybe that's your response this morning. Thank you. Maybe it's forgive me. Forgive me for the sin in my life. Maybe, maybe your words are, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Or you can be honest with Jesus. Maybe you write, I still don't understand. Help me understand. We're all coming from different places this morning. And God is moving in our lives in different ways. We invite you to reflect, to respond, to write some words to Jesus. And maybe your words this morning are, are save me. Save me. I need saving from my sins and cleanse me. Maybe there's a specific sin in your life. Jesus is here. He wants to hear from you. He loves you. He wants to heal you forgive you and give you a new life. So we invite you to take a few moments and respond now.